podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Well, uh, privileged to have you back for this one, Mark. Great to have you back from your travels of going nowhere, but at the same time going everywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a long way of saying uh, that I've not done a great deal, Martin. I'm in the house still, but I'm back on the podcast. That's the most important thing. And uh, what a weekend to come back for. Wowie, mercy boy. <laughs> Absolute banger, Gareth. Uh, did you enjoy that one? I mean, oh, the weekend of football, not the pod. Oh, it was great. And yeah, I was really pleased that I managed to squeeze in a rare few words about Spurs. And uh, also, I, I quite enjoyed our, our long deep dive into Everton's transfer policy. Yeah, why not? I'm directors of footballs and, you know, we almost sound like a real Also, we do. Also, I think there should be a £5 penalty against you, Martin, whenever the word reductive gets used. I mean, what are the chances of me saying that? Don't be... It won't get used, will it? Surely. Enjoy the pod. Welcome to the Whistleblowers. It's a pleasure to be welcoming back uh, Mr. Mark Smith. Mark, great to have you. Great to be here, Martin Gritton. Are you well remotely? But yes, it's always wonderful to hear your voice. And No, I do uh, mean it's great to be here in my house. That's what I meant by that. <laughs> and that's exactly how I took it. Uh, Martin, all... your, your microphone your microphone sounds uh, sounds different to normal. Where are you tonight? I'm just I'm just in my room, Mark. I just have I'm yeah. on speaker. Nice. My, my... Describe the room to us. Let's get a, a feel for this. Uh, I'm sat at I've got one of those little wooden things that you put a uh, actually I don't know what that's um, like one of those <laughs> IKEA. <laughs> uh, it's just, I'm just it's just my it's my home office, Mark. You know, little it's wooden like, things. Was that was that? Were you going to describe? Just, do you know what? I, I don't want to waste time indulging you in nonsense right now because we've okay. also no, got uh, the legend that is Gareth Dobson with us. Gareth, great to have you back. Hi. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to this uh, through the keyhole podcast with uh, Lloyd Grossman, aka Mark Smith. Through the, mm. through the through the keyhole surgery with uh, Mark Smith, um, this uh, well, it's great to have you both on for a start because obviously in these new unprecedented times, uh, this is how it's going to have to be. Um, obviously, we bring we bring Mister Bruin in for the long reads occasionally, Mister Alger in for uh, anything when it comes to number crunching, but we just bring Mark on when, uh, quite frankly, <laughs> you know when he, when he fancies it. So, Mark, what have you been up to, mate? Uh, oh, big things, Martin. Big things. Unbelievable things. Parenting. Uh, <laughs> a lot of parenting. A lot of parenting. Gearing up for lockdown too. Uh, and also doing, I'm doing some football shows for uh, Football 365 uh, and Talk Sport. So you can hear me knocking about and you can see me on certain things knocking about, chatting about football. Which is why I sound so damn professional, Martin. I know, you really do. You really do. And, and Gareth, what have you been up to, mate? I, I know it's only been a week, but how, well, how are you hanging I, in there? Basically, just uh, hunkering down because I'm excited that the, the greatest competition in the world is back, and uh, that is obviously the Great British Bake Off. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not Carabao Cup third round. I mean, even though your beloved Spurs game was called off with late in Orient tonight because their team got COVID, which was quite weird because I was there last Wednesday and they were playing Plymouth. I know it's it's a very very strange situation. I do feel bad for for Orient, especially as. Um, 
you know, for, for Spurs, it's kind of here nor there, if we're completely honest. But I think for a club like Orient, potentially progressing in the uh, League Cup could be quite a boon this year, but uh, probably not the case now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Mark, uh, have you been watching much football this weekend? What did you? Yeah, I, I've um, I've sort of uh, snapped back into it pretty quickly, to be honest. I, I've seen probably every minute of every game. Uh, I just, you know what? Like we had a, we had a short break, didn't we, this summer? But I still felt with about two weeks to go till the start of the season, I still had that withdrawal. I was still desperate for it at that point. And now it's back. I'm absolutely delighted again. So, yeah, I've been watching every every single minute I've been able to watch in as many divisions as possible. Um, yeah, been loving it, man. And, I mean, what what a weekend for me to come back on to. I mean, am I right in saying it was the most ever goal scored in the Premier League uh, round of fixtures? Oh, yes. It was, yeah, 43 or 44 goals. I think it was 44. Break the record by one. Obviously, that final one was uh, Gabriel Jesus. Uh, in 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 injury time, he obviously has a yes. sense of occasion. Uh, <laughs> actually, let's be honest, it is rarely there for for the man at City. So at least he's done something to make the headlines for once. Well, I think I think he probably knew that I'd come on the podcast if that record was broken. Oh yeah, and that's probably in the back of his mind as as he as he hits that shot. I remember to tag him in the defender's week. legs into the top corner. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Gabby, thanks for thanks for knocking that one in, and I'm here for you, pal. <laughs> Mark, I find it interesting. I pick up there the every league because obviously you're our man in the championship, uh, as you will yeah. always be as a Derby County <laughs> fan. Um, but I, I do enjoy the updates because, to be honest, it's it always gets interesting after Christmas in the championship. No one really wants to watch the bloody fight up to Christmas. Just got everyone punching yes. each other in the face repeatedly until just two teams emerge, and then there's a third one that makes it. It's like uh, you know that's what the championships always become. But uh, how's it shaping up this year? Uh, well, it's, it's weird actually because I think what we'll see in the Premier League this year is, is what we normally see in the Championship. W- with it being essentially two games a week for the whole season, it's going to be an absolute slog. Um, and that's what makes the Championship so interesting a lot of the time is that it's so unpredictable as a result. So I think we'll see some of that excitement in, in the Premier League. And I, I actually think that the 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 number of goals that we saw this weekend wasn't just wasn't a freak occurrence. It's they've had short pre-seasons and they've already crammed in games. So I think we'll have a lot more of that this season. But uh, Championship has started like that. I mean, it's unpredictable. Reading a top, Luton a third. They've won both their games. I mean, you know, you, you can't call this at all. And then you've got teams like Forest and, you know, may, maybe Derby. But certainly Forest are, are, some, are a team that has a lot of people's tip to go up this season. And they've lost their first two. So it's just, it's a mental league. And it started immediately this time around. Um We've had two games, man. You know what it's like. You, you can't tell what's going on. But it's just a league that is always, always, always worth watching. Yeah, very much so. Gareth, uh, just on that point, the goals this weekend, we've seen loads of quality finishes, but you get that from the Premier League. Is, do you think it's a factor without the, the crowds there on the defending or the concentration? Or do you think that's playing into it at all? I mean, you do wonder if if it has an effect in terms of, you know, some teams, maybe they, they shy away a little bit when... Yeah, they can hear the crowd murmuring or, or or get on their backs. Maybe it allows you to stay positive or or push on. And and you know, maybe it, it works in reverse in terms of you know if you're a goal down, there isn't a crowd sort of roaring on and really pushing you on. It's uh, I don't want to say Martin, you've been in these situations, but yeah, essentially it's like you know reserve team football. I'm guessing you you played a few reserve or, or practice games or whatever. How does that change things when? You know, as compared to a game with crowds, I've, I was well, I was going to put it back on both of you, but 
I'll pick it up myself for the Sheffield United one because I would have, I said it on this podcast before, it's a terrifying place. Those those grounds when they're absolutely rocking, brilliant, you know, Yorkshire clubs, any, I mean, any club that's got a hostile uh, fan base and also a team that feels as though it's punching up, that, that always galvanises a, a fan base and also makes players seem to go through walls for that team and it also makes the away team think, Hang on a minute, there's a bit of doubt in my mind. Certainly in some reserve games, I've been a lot more laid back when I've been finishing, and it's uh, but no less. I mean, the, if you're playing reserve games, you're always worried about getting your place in the team or staying at the club. So generally, the tempo has got to be high, otherwise you get yourself to blame. But certainly, yeah, yeah. finishing, I find it less less pressure. You know, I'm, Mark, what do you? What do you? I mean, even from back in your days of playing, or like you know, what you've seen. Uh, mm. What's your impression of that? I mean, because I, because I, I think Sheffield United were always a terrifying place to go to, and I think it's been reflected in the, their yeah. season. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I mean, I, I can't, I can't draw on experiences of playing in front of full houses at all. But I, I sort of get the impression that formerly going to Sheffield United or any of those sort of tighter grounds with with hostile crowds, that was you know a twelfth man, as they'd say. Uh, and now it seems like you go there and you're just playing. Uh, a game of football on a pitch that you don't really know as well, and that's about yeah. it. There's no, there's not really much else to to say for it. Okay, you've got the travel time, but they do it the day before anyway now. So I, d- I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I think certainly the championship we saw at the back end of last season that there was uh, the, the more technical sides tended to finish strongly because there wasn't that extra impetus that a home crowd would give you. So for example, Derby finished pretty strongly. Um, yep. up to the sort of last three or four games because we were we are a technical side and we were suddenly going places that previously were terrifying and now it was just like all right yeah well I might not know the you know the exact divots of the pitch but, but really I know I know how to play football against against another team and and that's sort of what it felt like yeah no love that uh, well let's let's take that and run with it because I think this weekend you also see the 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 other side of this where you seem less affected by the home and away advantage. That's very much a, a, a factor of it. And the teams are able to bounce back from their previous weekend's result. Gareth, I'm going to take you straight into it Spurs here. You must have been you must have been delighted with that performance. It was it it was such a strange game. Um, for the first 44 minutes, I was I was cursing the work of of Spurs and, and Mourinho. It, they did not seem competing with Southampton anyway. Southampton looked really really good, and I was. You know, chatting with friends, and it's like, you know, Southampton, a, an excellent team. Hassan Hussle was a good manager. And then, you know, you know, Kane and Song combine. And by the end of the game, you're sort of talking about, you know, less than 9 0. And why can't Southampton get better? And oh, this is what Spurs, you know, look like the four attacking force. But truth be told, it was essentially it was one play over and over again. It was like Groundhog Day. It was <laughs> ridiculous. It was just Kane, you know, sending these balls around the corner to break this high line and, and Son just running on and, and, and smash them into the corner. And obviously, yeah, really good unerring finishes apart from, I think one that was offside, that he tried to bend into the corner that he pretty much put on the corner flag. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was such a strange thing to be undone over and over again by the same situation. And, uh, you, you know, know, no adjustments. I, I don't understand it. Watching it, I just didn't understand why Southampton were doing this. I, 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 at one point, I was thinking, oh, right, they, they want to get absolutely butchered because for some <laughs> reason they're a team that likes to respond to adversity and, and you know, have a turning... They're a team obsessed with turning points 
and Hasenhutl must have thought, oh, we want an early turning point this year so we can rally against something. Need That's the only way I could describe it because uh, they were only 2-1 down. They were still in the game when they started playing the highest line I think I've seen um, it, it, for so long, as, particularly when you're playing against you know, Son. Kane might not be that quick, but as we've seen, you can drop in and play a ball over the top. And people were raving clever. about the, 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 the balls and the assists. Yeah. And they were good balls, but let's not get this wrong. They, they were really good assists, but there are a number of players on the pitch that could play that ball because there was so much space. There was so much space to hit those balls that I, I just feel like it was completely suicidal from Southampton. And I find it so confusing. When you when you work out, this is the weird thing. When you play that high line, it's almost as if you've, this is, we've set our stall out, we do that. What it takes is one player on the pitch to go, this is fucking mental. Let's change yeah. this immediately and do whatever we can to nullify it. But they didn't think of that quicker than Kane thought of, I will put three balls in behind and Son. And when you're in the Premier League, the quality of Son was put, that, yes. that shows you exactly what happens. It's like you can watch it happen like a computer game and defenders are reluctant to be the ones to go, I want to change it. Because when when you're battening down the hatches and when your back's against the wall, you're like, just we'll just think, hope for the best. You know, and it was yeah, yeah, like yeah. the worst possible policy. I mean, I don't... I also there was a you know friend of the pod Miguel Delaney. So Meg, Miguel's always banging the drum on how Mourinho doesn't really have an attacking plan, so the players yeah. generally have to work it out themselves. And to be honest, well, it'll bring it on to the next subject in a minute. But and that's the that's why Harry Kane's so valuable. I think he's a really intelligent footballer, and I think you know that. I mean, I'm not exactly I'm not exactly uh, reinventing the wheel saying that. Hot, but, hot take. <laughs> but his intelligence to realise that he was. He was the focal point, and all Spurs and um, all, all Southampton seemed to be doing was like, "Well, we'll deal with them. We'll deal with them." And it was like, "No, yeah, like the threat." It was genius from him. But, is, but is that is, is that a lack of leadership from Hasenhutl, or is it a lack of leaders on the pitch for Southampton for, for for it to take so long? Because after goal number five, they stopped playing the high line. I mean, even it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's done by then. What you do, someone's got to say something or do something. So where does the fault lie in that? Gareth, I was going to say Hoiberg. Uh, Hoiberg's the one, the one leader that they maybe had that they lost and they never replaced. Yeah, that that does fair. Although he didn't play too much after the lockdown because of his expressing that he wanted to to leave, and Southampton did play quite well. So it might be a little reductive to say it's just because he moved from one team on the pitch to the other. Um, I do think they they lack quality at the back. Um, they brought uh, Jack Stevens in after that. Uh, 9-0 drubbing more because of his sort of attitude and organisational skills rather than um, him being you know, a particularly high quality footballer and perhaps it's just one of those games where it, it, it catches up on on you as as, a, as an overall you know defence and you, know, you just realise that Southampton do maybe have some work to do and they don't always have you know the, the team and the ability to play as Hassan Hurtle wants he obviously has a plan most of the time it seems to work but it does seem that when it goes wrong, it goes um, fantastically yeah, exactly wrong. Well, we, we were saying last uh, last season, back in the last season, Martin, so it was only a few, couple of months ago, probably, but Southampton could be a team that challenges for certainly not top four, probably not top six, but could be a could be a top eight side. And there were glimpses in that first half of, of the best of Southampton, but for it to come crashing down so spectacularly, I mean, I still feel like they can be an excellent side and, and in particular players like uh, Danny Ings. He's a, he's a top-class striker, and I do feel like they can do something, but they need to get out of this 
bizarre kink obsession that they have with getting mullered on their own pitch. <laughs> well, this is true. I mean, I, I just just to go back to Gareth, for, for um, thanks for being slightly more eloquent. For you to be on this podcast long enough to know that we reductive is our middle name, Gareth. So uh, <laughs> I think you'll find that the basic take is obviously the hot one for the whistleblowers. But um, oh, is my? I think my phone's actually going off here. I hope that's not. Can you hear that beeping? No, but I'm assuming that's Hassan Hurstle ringing to... Yeah, no, it's something... Get it shut down. Um, yeah, I will do. Uh, on, to, on to Bale. No, I mean Hassan Hurstle saying, get the yeah. show shut down. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I wanted to bring in Bale at that point. Do you think there was any... I mean, I'm, I mean, this how's this for reductive? Um, do you think there was a Bale bump there, Gareth, with uh, a slightly more energised performance from the, the Spurs team now that, that he's been confirmed? I mean, if they did, they only found out Bale was signing at half-time. Um they were, like I said, they they were pretty drab in the first half. I, I you know, they're, they're probably, I'm sure there is enthusiasm with Bale signing. Kane seemed very pleased and, you know, was talking about Gareth this, Gareth that, as if he'd, you know, been longtime clubmates. I think they appeared together once for, for 10 minutes. But, you know, obviously he will bring sort of stardust and excitement into, into, into the club. And, you know, to be honest, I, I'm more interested in sort of wondering what, uh, Dele Alli made it made of all of it sitting at home watching the game. It sounds like he's uh, he's on his way out the club. Well, yeah, that could be an interesting. Listen, let's talk about the rest of the game so we come back after the break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct. Something that's less Mr. Bean and more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Okay, welcome back to the second half. Um, the, there was plenty of other action as we talked about in the first half of the show. Um, lads, what, what other games did you earmark out as uh, being special attention? Mark, what, what did you sniff out from the, the games at the weekend? Um, I think we have to talk about Crystal Palace. Uh, and I'm not even saying Crystal Palace and United. I'm saying Crystal Palace. Let, let's focus on them because I thought they were... I just thought they were fantastic um, at the weekend. Um, I am a big fan of Palace anyway. I, I like the way the club operates. Um, they play... Essentially, they play good attacking football most of the time. And they've got players that have got a, a trick in their locker and they want to run at people and they want to score goals. With that in mind, you're hoping Wolf Zaha might stay. And you, you want to think that this isn't so cynical that this is just Wolf Zaha turning it on because he's got two weeks to get a move still. Um, but looking at the signings they've made, I mean, you know, uh, Eber Richard Ez has come in from QPR. He's coming off the bench at the minute, but he'll start soon. He looks fantastic. Yeah. Uh, they've got Batch Y back on loan. There's talk about Rian Brewster coming in from uh, from Liverpool. It's, it's, an, it's an attacking team. It's a fun team to play in, I imagine, as, a, as an attacker. They've yeah. got good midfielders in MacArthur and McCarthy who, you know, it's, they're not glamorous, but they're there to provide this base for those players to do what they want. 
And I just think they're really good. I mean, they played United perfectly. Okay, United weren't. They were, they were nowhere near fit. I actually thought it was pretty disgraceful, to be honest, how, how unfit they looked. They looked like they were second season of second week of preseason to me, playing yeah. against a team that had played five or six competitive games, it felt like. Um, but yeah, uh, Palace were just great. And uh, yeah, I, I love them, man. I think they might be they might be the team I like the most in the Premier League. Gareth, the, the, your local team? They are. Um, I think, you know, talking about the, the youth aspect is key. At the end of last season, uh, they were positively creaking. They put out practically the same lineup for the last seven or eight games. And it was, you know, it was pushing around the average age of 30 mark. And you can see that the board and, and Hodgson have identified that sort of trying to quickly reduce the age of the, the team is, is, you know, vital. And, uh, you know, bringing in Mitchell at fullback, uh, actually moving Kuyate back to centre-back, which is, has worked surprisingly yeah, well. Yeah. Um, he played there a bit last year, but um, this is definitely seeming like a new role. And like you said, you know, have, get, being able to bring in Batshuayi, who's still a young player, and and, and Deze around, you know, Zahar, who I appreciate is 28 uh, in, a, in a couple of months' time, but is still, um, you know, a little younger than some of the players they, they were pulling out is... I think all very positive and and really important. So if they can do that while picking up results, um, it's going to be a heck of a season and could really set them up for the next couple of years in in the league. Yeah, I I, I was really impressed with the way they set up and I just, again the tactical now it was something that's levelled um, Ollie occasionally is is not really understanding that the, the tactical element and just playing his best players or but playing the side that's you know he thinks will win the match and um, whereas I think Palace really did a job as you said um, yeah got, but I've got to head on the break but I, I, there's been a lot of talk about this over the last couple of days and uh, Hodgson played United perfectly hit him on the break but also you know it wasn't just hitting on the break they they really pressed them to death and really worked hard and I, I was I was impressed by by how they did it but to say that um, Ollie was outclassed and he's you know out of his depth and I think I think that that's reductive because I think well that's if we're going to say that it is yeah if we're going to say that then we've also got to say that twice last season Ollie outmaneuvered Pep Guardiola does that make him a better coach of course it doesn't it's just one of those things that happens in games and as as good as Palace were United were just as bad I've mentioned the fitness issue it, it I honestly cannot comprehend. What's happened there? I understand they've had players coming back from... You know, Wan-Bissaka come back from Dubai, so he was quarantined for two weeks. Paul Pogba quarantined for two weeks, didn't get much time with his with his, uh, his squad mates. But at the same time, I mean, don't play him then. Don't play him. You need players that are at least fit enough to to make runs and to and to keep some sort of tempo going in a game. And they had nothing. And it, it was it was really poor. I appreciate they had one preseason friendly and this was their first competitive game compared to Palace having four competitive uh, sorry, this is the third competitive game and four preseason friendlies. But that 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 is what I would blame on the manager, because that surely is the manager's job and his his team to make sure they're fit enough for the start of the Premier League. It's a Premier League, lads. It's not. This isn't a kickabout. This is three yeah. points. Well, it's not just the fitness. Uh, it's, it's picking personnel that aren't as fit as the other players and yeah. then there yeah. being some kind of disjointed way to the way that they're playing. And that, is, that is bad management. Uh, and, yes, you know, or, that is. Or it's something that you, when, you're, when you've got the... Um, the luxury of experience, and when that's why I, I do, I do love the fact that Hodgson does prove the doubt is wrong. We look at, you know, you look at the start of the season. We talk about Hasnu on the first half, and you're totally right. Um, I, I think he's a great coach, and but he's constantly fighting against that battle. Um, 
to get his best out of the team. Let's let's move on to two. Uh, well, an, another uh, David and Goliath in terms of coaching experience, but uh, you might not think it, judging by the press and the run up to the game. Liverpool versus Chelsea, or Chelsea v Liverpool, I should say, because it was at Stamford Bridge. Um, uh, Gareth, did you watch that game? I did. It was um, it, it was a very engaging fixture. I I was a little surprised at how comprehensive uh, the the victory was, even before the red cards. Uh, Liverpool just had them completely pinned back and, uh, you know, were pressing well and, and seemed to hit the ground running into the season. And uh, Chelsea seemed very disjointed. Um, it does feel like those personal issues that people were speculating in terms of how do you blood such a, you know, a new influx of, of players so quickly uh, is, you know, was an issue certainly so far. I don't think they were particularly great against Brighton either last week. So, um, yeah, I, I think Liverpool, you know, obviously full value for for the win. And, you know, the, the, the Kepa situation is not going away either. Mm, no, no, very much so. Uh, interesting, you, you talk about the recruitment, talk about the kind of players gelling. Um, you look at Liverpool, Mark, uh, mm. bringing in someone like Thiago, that is ready-made for a role in that team. And Klopp, Klopp seems to be quite defined about, he knows what he wants and he brings in players that fit in the system, whereas Chelsea have bought talent and hopefully that will gel somehow. Do you, is that how you see it? Or? Um, uh, I have a little bit more sympathy for Lampard than that. We'll start with Thiago, though. Was I being the productive? <laughs> the, the big R. The big <laughs> R word. That's the main R we're all talking about. <laughs> Not the, uh, the R number. I don't know. Something about politics. <laughs> Thiago is... Uh, I don't think I've ever been more confident of a dead cert that's <laughs> ever come into this league. Ever. And I'm, I'm talking ever. About any player ever coming in. He is someone who I, I just cannot see failing. You're right in saying he is the right man for, for the system. But I also think he's probably the right man for any team in the Premier League. I think we've seen... We've seen you know, different midfielders just look haunted by playing against him in Europe. And, okay, playing against 10 men in that second half, but they just couldn't get near him. You can't get near him. There's an underappreciation for how good he is because I think he he just wasn't in that, you know, that Barcelona side with uh, Xavi and Iniesta. But actually, I think he's just as good as, as either one of those. And... I'm delighted that he's in the Premier League and we get to watch him week in, week out. Uh, so essentially, Liverpool, with the best team in the country, have improved their team by bringing in arguably the best midfielder in the world. Certainly, he's in the conversation for best holding midfielder in the world in terms of his distribution, his reading of the game, is that 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 buzzword that Miguel came up with the the pass appreciation. Um, Chelsea, on the other hand, there's a lot of talk, wasn't there, that 200 million quid. This is Lampard's time now. He's he's got to challenge, and I don't. I don't see that at all. I don't think anyone serious really expects him to challenge for the league this this no. this season. Because whoever you are, whatever team it is, if you bring in six players, six starting players, they're not going to gel immediately. It's not going to happen. It's going to take a little bit of time. And we've seen it with Havertz, who you know hasn't hasn't had an opportunity really to do too much. Um, Werner, sort of ditto, really. And, and the rest of them, Chilwell's not fit yet. Um, same for Thiago. They need a new keeper in. But I, I think they'll be. I think they'll be closer than last season. But any talk of them challenging, I think, is uh, is nonsense. Particularly given how good the top two are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, I, I want to. Well, we talk about the top two. I'm going to. I'm going to ask your opinion on both of them now quickly. Uh, uh, Gareth, Everton have, have have impressed again, and 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 did it so 
kind of emphatically against you know a team that you would expect them to beat, but they beat them. Yes, I I think uh, some of some of West Brom's uh, uh, injuries were were self inflicted a little bit. Obviously, you know the game seemed to turn, or the last final term was on was on another red card, um, and they didn't seem to recover from that. Even though obviously they did actually equalise off the back of a an amazing free kick immediately afterwards. But um, yeah, Everton, uh, I th- they do look good. It We'll see if it's one of those things that's going to last for eight, ten weeks or whether it will, will go the whole season. The, the the player who excites me the most, and I think we, we did mention it uh, as we were previewing the season, is Calvert-Lewin, who looks like suddenly has, has just blossomed. And he oh. had a good... Uh, sorry, end of last season, he's just continued that form right through. Yeah, Mark, I'll give Gareth full credit for this. He singled him out amongst all the other signings. Uh, nah, bullshit. He bullshit. genuinely <laughs> did. And I was I was like, oh, Calvert-Lewin, eh? The guy that's, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And um, nothing short of brilliant. Uh, really oh, good man. Uh, yeah. Well, he, he has been, he just seems like uh, Ancelotti loves him. And yeah. he, he's gone from being someone who, I think even 18 months ago, maybe even a year ago, you could see maybe getting a loan move to a championship club to suddenly being absolutely number one striker at that club. He's got the number nine shirt now. He looks confident. He looks like he knows he's going to get opportunities. He knows that if he makes a run, there's quality enough behind him that he might he might see the ball. Um, and in the air, I don't think there's a better header of the ball in the, in the league than him. I, I mean, think he's just phenomenal in the air. Brilliant headers. Brilliant header of a ball. Great possession. I mean, I've really yeah. enjoyed... Enjoyed that. The delivery of the set pieces from Everton, um, just, you know, exceptional for both sides. Uh, really, really good team to watch. Oh, and and there'll be, we, we, I'm going to bring it straight on to there, Mark. Uh, Leicester, Leicester, they've gone about their business. Two games they should have won, they've won them. Yeah, again, another one that you thought, you know, they, they trailed off so badly last season that you thought, you know, is is this going to be a bit of a, a mental block for them this season? Are they going to be so traumatised by missing out last day of the season on top four? Uh, but they've come out uh, not playing brilliantly just yet, but playing pretty well and, and starting very positively. Um, I think losing Chilwell was a bit of a blow, but they seem to have replaced him immediately uh, with a, a Castagna, isn't it, who, who seems to yeah. have just settled in immediately. And, and Great player. Great delivery on the ball. Seems to be able to overlap well and, and also seems pretty solid at the back. They haven't had any proper tests just yet, but you know they'll come. And, and the, this is Leicester. This isn't this isn't a, a have-a-go team anymore. This is, a, this is a serious football team in the Premier League. They've won the thing recently. They're, they seem to constantly be around the top five, top six. So to write them off was probably stupid. And that's what I did. And I already apologise for that. Well, um, apology not accepted. Gareth, what okay. do you think about... Um, uh, of course, Mark, look, I was just being reductive. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Gareth? Uh, um, I mean, we talked about Vardy a little bit last week, but, I mean, Madison was on the bench, wasn't he? I think he did, you know, they've got players there that they're not necessarily relying on full-time now. Yes, uh, it does seem that um, they've decided to, to rejig rejig the squad and, and and move forward, which is, I, I think, quite impressive. I, I think they could have certainly uh, considered sitting on their laurels and, um, you know, hope to sort of replicate another top six position. But, uh, you know, I, Brendan Rodgers is, I think he's quite a polarising manager, but I think he's, you know, he, he's doing a good job. The, the one thing I'd like to go back to is actually Everton and um, 
there was a really good report by uh, David Ornstein in The Athletic uh, on Monday who, who actually discussed that uh, about 18 months ago, Everton wanted to bring in Mario Mandzukic uh, yeah. instead of uh, Calvert-Lewin. And that probably would have seen Calvert-Lewin either move on or be pushed you know, fully down the pack. And um, they end up resisting it. Obviously, this was a time when they brought in all these players like Iwobi and Moise Keane and Andre Gomez and you know, and Delft players who essentially haven't worked out. And I definitely had my doubts about Mandzukic uh, working out. But there's kind of that real sliding doors moment where, you know, would this team be the same with, uh, you know, with a 30 yeah, yeah, yeah. operation up front? And, you know, there was all these young players, if you think back to two years ago, who, who were coming into the Everton team. And one by one, they all seemed to be kind of pushed out uh, most of them seem to have left the club or, or were out on loan for periods last year, like John Joe Kenny um, and uh, Amandola Lookman's gone. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the one who has kind of survived and, and, and sort of risen to the top is is Calvert-Lewin. Yeah. yeah, and I think actually, Gareth, you've, you've exactly there illustrated why a director of football can be so important. I mean, Marcel Brands at Everton was the one who has been credited with making sure Calvert-Lewin got a proper shot. And that spanned over two or three managers, hasn't it? So it's it's about having someone at the club who can see the bigger picture, who can make sure there's continuity within the players and the ethos or the philosophy of a, of players they bring in and the way they attribute that to the team. Because had it been no director of football, you'd have had a situation where, well, manager doesn't like Carvert-Lewin, so he's gone. And now we'll start again because there's a new manager. And he'll bring his own players in, then he'll get sacked. New manager wants his own players and so on and so on and so on. And that's what you have at uh, Man United, for example, where there's just no continuity. No one knows what's going on. Uh, so, yeah, Marcel Brands has got to take a lot of credit for that. That is a great point. Um, yeah, and something that we don't really flag up a lot, you know, with the uh, the nature of it so far in, the, in this season. Um, you know, recruitment's so important, isn't it? And, then, you know, we've seen that with Leicester. You look at guys that are replacing people and making a lot of money with the sales. Um, amazing to have you both on tonight. I'd just like to I'd, I'd probably put a pin in it there. Just, But amazing that um, the embarrassment of riches this week, we didn't really... T- Touch on Leeds, who won four three. We didn't yeah, really talk yeah. about Brighton beating Newcastle three 0 I mean, oh, Bright- was- Brighton, Brighton are brilliant, didn't they? It was great. And Man City, Ben White, the first England squad, very soon. That's it. First time we've done a podcast without me gloating about Man City for whatever reason. Um, listen, gents, it was great having you on. I think I think we we covered some good bases. Let's hope hope that we're back next week with a full a full fixture list. Um, but yeah, uh, Mark, what, are you up to anything interesting we can listen to over the weekend? Uh, yeah, uh, you can uh, see my show. It's the uh, Football 365 show. We've got a thing called Topical Top Tens, which comes out every Tuesday morning. You can get that on football365.com. Uh, and uh, listen out for me on uh, Talk Sport every now and then. You can hear the same vocal cords saying the exact same points, albeit in a less fun way. <laughs> and we can't. I'm looking forward to that immediately. <laughs> I'll set my alarm. Uh, Gareth, what can we what can we see and hear you up to this over the next week? Are you still um, keeping an eye on things in the music world? Yep, getting getting a bunch of records ready to to release, and we'll be kind of announcing that in the next the next few weeks. That's all very exciting. The thing I'm most excited about is tomorrow. I'm off to see the Andy Warhol exhibition at the Tate. Oh, oh yes, how classy! Very classy. Oh, what a classy guy. Oh, yeah. Superb, isn't he? Just culture vulture. I mean, he's uh, he's he's spanning two different sectors here with with a plum. Just you know, football music, it doesn't matter. And just as pedestrian, Mark, just just wittering away mm. Yeah, mm. the football league. But listen, it gents, it's, it's, great to have you, it's great to have you both back on. Really enjoyed speaking to you. Um, 
hopefully we'll be back next week or the week after very soon. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.